Welcome to the Et Alia podcast, hosted by Peter Kranitz and Brad Davis. Each episode focuses on a concept that represents a fundamental issue in contemporary life, examining it through works of culture and philosophy that help us understand its impact and explain our present situation. Peter Kranitz. And I'm Brad Davis. And today we are joined by a special guest, Paul Scalas. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure, no problem. So our last episode we talked about Paul's uh, work on the Lindy Man Twitter account and about the Lindy effects in the four-hour life. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I suggest going back and taking a listen to that first, um, especially if you're not super familiar with Paul as of yet. Um, everybody else or if you just want to keep listening stay tuned uh so paul how about you give our listeners a quick introduction of yourself yeah i uh i heard your podcast about my work and it was a good faith effort to sort of understand what i've been posting about for the last few years um whether it's the lindy effect or the four-hour life or the consistency space or I don't know, I just have a bunch of concepts that I kind of play around with that um, I think people sort of um, have gravitated to. So when I listened to your last podcast, I thought it was, you know, someone trying to um, understand it. Uh, but I thought I'd get on here and actually explain what I thought were maybe um, some way, you know, having explaining it, explaining it in my own words, which I think would clear up a lot of confusion over, you know, what happened during your last podcast. Uh, would you like to, should we start by just kind of going over the, the Lindy effect first? Yeah, yeah. I think I think something to keep in mind is just a general overview of what it is trying to say and sort of what isn't and then what I'm trying to do with it. Um, the Lindy effect was something Taleb talked about in his book Anti-Fragile, and then he expanded in the book Skin in the Game. Um, and really, it just means the way something's been around for a while the longer it's been around the longer it will be around um but the way i interpret it and the way he explained it in skin of the game which i think is is important is when it comes to human nature and it comes it comes into um engaging with psychology because we've been living in we're living in a time where um there's a lot of replication problems in psychology i don't know if you've read daniel kenneman's uh work thinking fast and slow and where he discusses things like ego depletion or priming and and there's a big replication problem with those things that ultimately are not true in fact with ego depletion we can see that it's actually the opposite and this was discussed in ego depletion Ego depletion was is is a phenomenon where the more uh, the more discipline you engage with during your day, the less you'll have at the end of the day. So, somebody puts a plate full of cookies in front of you, and you're using your willpower to not eat them will actually deplete you later in the day, and you'll engage maybe in something you'd you know gambling or something that you can't resist whereas 
that's shown not to replicate. And if you read Seneca, he actually says the opposite, which is the more you use your willpower during the day, uh, the, 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 the stronger it gets. Hmm. Um, and, and so I bring this up because it's like a national bestseller. I've read it. I actually did do these sort of strategies to try to improve my life, and, and they're not really real. And it's like, my God, this whole there's – there's sort of an edifice that I think is used by somebody like Jordan Peterson. It's used by sort of um, an academic establishment that's going into pop culture. Um, we see that all. We see that also with workers and sort of HR or uh, companies trying to implement, you know, ways to create like a better human or a better worker. But briefly, I think the Lindy effect is, you know, goes with Taleb's argument about what's fragile, what's anti-fragile. You know, a cup, a cup is fragile. It's not. It doesn't want to have uh, volatility. You know, if it falls on the ground. It breaks. There's no cup anymore, right? But there's another class called ideas, right? Um, art, things that are not perishable that that will um, actually get stronger over time, and um, uh, if they've been filtered by time, which is disorder, which is volatility, and they're still here. Uh, it's not only something that's not harmful to us, uh, but it's actually something useful to us. And so, uh, and, and what I base my sort of posting on, especially on the Daily Lindy Effect, uh, my other Twitter account on Daily Lindy Effect, which I just post, uh, you know, these these moral the moral sciences as they call it, right? Cicero, Seneca, Aurelius, Lucian, the poets. Is basically you know what what human nature is because these these works have have survived thousands of years, and if they've survived thousands of years and the ancients knew about human nature, but maybe they didn't know about medicine, maybe they didn't know about uh, certain other you know physics or or or, or biology or you know there's some there's some domains that doesn't work, but in human nature they can observe it. So it works in that uh, domain. So that's basically what the Lindy effect is, that it's generally useful if it survived the disorder of time. So how can the Lindy effect be applied effectively to something on a sort of smaller time scale than just uh, back to classical philosophy? Is it applicable to uh, more sort of popular culture, like we were sort of talking about in our last episode or was that a, a misguided no no so so i think i think what's interesting about what i post about is uh there was you know in the 20th century i don't know how old you guys are but in the 20th century you know if you grew up in the 20th century you were under a media monoculture regime which is you know there was a few hundred celebrities there was a like if you wanted to listen to music it, it was physical so you had to go buy it there's a record labels there's a radio station there was an approved list of uh bands and just i mean then that was all there was right i mean you can even talk about something like classic rock as a very convenient example um and sort of you know, this was this was culture, right? This was a glo- and it coincided with America becoming a global powerhouse 
exporting its culture throughout the world, which it continues to do, and also media be, being physical and being expensive. And, you know, we kind of live in an age where, uh, where you grew up in this structure, right? This, this structure of gatekeepers who allowed you to have these things, who said that this is good. And something about the Lindy effect that's interesting is, you know, peer review doesn't matter. The audience today doesn't matter. Like I was reading today about Moby Dick and Herman Melville, right? He wrote Moby Dick. Nobody read it. Uh, he died, you know, as a customs operator in New York. Uh, and then, you know, 100 years after uh, he died, this book is being taught at every school in, uh, in America. And it's this giant piece of literary work that he never saw um, anybody read, right? I mean, it went out of print. Nobody cared. So uh, – and this book now is, is lauded as this classic of American literature with lessons on – um, perseverance or, or struggle or obsession or you know whatever you want to you know call it but it's useful in a way uh and this is what 150 160 years later so um anyways getting back to the media monoculture um so what what i now we transition to a de decentralized culture right the internet's kind of destroyed everything. Everybody's in a niche. You guys are doing a podcast. You guys would never, probably wouldn't have made it to NBC, right? Probably wouldn't have made it to like uh, a radio station DJ, right? Those are like, there's only a few spots. Now you're just some dudes who start a radio and, right? You have listeners and have some people retweeted. There's networks um, and there's a million people on SoundCloud. So I think. I think what's interesting about using the Lindy effect is using it uh, on a smaller time scale uh, to see who in the 20th century media monoculture is actually, you know, worth is going to survive. What work is going to become useful? What work is going to become part of like a real canon, not just a canon that's some expert? Uh, and that's another thing. These critics, sort of, a critic has a good job. Right, you review movies, you review music, you review literature. That's a great job. You want to sort of create as a critic your own canon that that may not be real. It's just you trying to be an interesting writer. Uh, but the only real expert is Lindy, right? The only real expert is things that have survived because they've proved useful in a way, in, in an objective way. Um, and so I think using it. On smaller time scales is fun. I don't think it's wrong. I think we've lived during a time of complete information overload, especially now in decentralized period where you know who knows what's really going to survive now. And I think the decentralized period started around 2006, 2007. That's when I saw. That's when I see culture kind of stopped. Right, superhero movies have been they've been remaking those for decades. There's no like shift. Right. So, like, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. What is it that caused the shift? What What brought uh, a death to the monoculture? You're saying oh six, oh seven. I think I've seen you uh, write two thousand four, somewhere. Something in the mid aughts changed. And is it just the internet? Is there something more to it? No, I don't know. I don't know why. Some people have speculated YouTube. Some people have speculated because uh, I think YouTube became bigger. 
2005, six smartphone era. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just don't see a, a decade shift. I don't see a a shift in the monoculture. You know, before you would also have these national conversations, right? Like a Seinfeld or these big shows. You don't really see big shows anymore. I mean, Game Game of Thrones was the last one, but um, but they don't come around very often, uh, and, and everything's kind of splintered. So if you ask me, what you know, what caused this? I, I don't know, but you know, there's there's a there's a decentralization process happening here. Uh, I think it's plain to see, especially if you've lived in the era, right, of the 20th century where where I grew up. I think if you're younger and you're just this is like what you know, I think you may not be able to see it as much. But yeah, there's no real change in there's a change in within the niches within the subcultures, but above it, you know, I don't I don't see much change in clothing style, music. It's just uh, you know you can argue that the corporate model has somehow responded to this emergence of all these subcultures by focusing on what works and just never changing from that which which was very different than you know the 60s 70s 80s 90s 2000s where there was like a real shift every decade so so how so is it possible that this sort of cultural uh the death the monocultural stagnation what if we've just reached like peak cultural windy what if we just like you know the the ultimate cultural form is is the superhero movie and and the tweet is that is that possible or no uh they've been resilient for like you were saying longer than than other other things what if what if remaking batman becomes lindy right we would just keep remaking right. batman for like the last next hundred years which i think is monstrous <laughs> i think i think it's terrible i think i think people understand this is bad i think if you've got a brain you understand that, like, you're like, wow, they're releasing another Batman, like the fourth or fifth incarnation since like the 2000s, and they're making it dark. Yeah, they still make billions of dollars too on each of these these new re-releases. Right, right. But did, I mean, do you do you sort of do you rewatch superhero movies? Like, do you do you? Sort I personally of, oh, don't even watch. <laughs> right, me neither. But like, they'll keep releasing new ones. I think novel novelty is something you know makes money but i don't know if anybody's rewatching these things again the thing with the lindy effect is you could say who knows maybe batman is lindy and you know paul's wrong and that could happen so that's why i focus a lot on uh things that have already been proven to be and uh but but and only speculate on it. like like I think the Beatles have it maybe maybe some classic rock stuff has a chance right because that's now we're heading toward so that was mid to late sixties it's two thousand twenty right we're at like sixty years is that right fifty sixty years so I mean for music that's not bad and, and that stuff still some of that stuff still around even in a decentralized uh, version so I think that's more interesting but. You know the Batman movie stuff. I, I mean, to me, I think very few things, very few films are going to be Lindy. I think, uh, uh, I think what people think is a canon isn't really a canon, and I think a lot of that has been held up by the 20th century, by critics, by these artificial uh, structures. 
And I think now that we're out of it, it's kind of be in a way we're like, well, what's going to survive on its own without, you know, an army of critics, an army of uh, people trying to sell you VHS tapes or laser disc, you know? So I guess we'll see. Do you think that's a unique problem though uh, to this point in time? I mean, it definitely seems like the stagnation is greater in the amount of like canonization or, or like building out a franchise of commercial products is obviously greater than it was 100 years ago, 150. But that same process of having so much bad culture or, or wasteful culture, doesn't that sort of dying off help the Lindy things survive? Or, or is that mechanism a new one, you think? I mean, I think uh, we're living in like an apex of consumer culture and you get you get bombarded by stuff all the time. I mean, we focus on movies and film and cartoons or like super, I mean, they're not really interesting. I don't think they're gonna survive just because they can never, ex- they can never rise to the level of where of anything other than short-term entertainment like the medium itself won't allow like no kids movie can ever become right as good as the best novel just because the medium won't allow it uh, but i also think that you know you're living in the apex of consumer culture and global supply chains and you're being bombarded you you know you wake up you go to sleep and there's screens everywhere so you're bombarded by writing as well so it's just not like reading novels now you could you know tap into all types of writing and I think I think in a way you're you're uh, we're testing the Lindy effect more than we've ever tested it right now because now everybody can engage in the consumer economy there's an the intention economy and you know. One thing I talk about is, is is like commercials have been around for like 60, 70 years, 80 years, and I never forget, I never remember a commercial, and they're never good. And uh, I had YouTube. I signed up for YouTube Premium because I, I got tired of listening to the commercials while I was listening to music, but I can't remember one. And I, for some reason, there's certain art forms or certain expressions that just None of it lasts. Uh, so if you're asking me, is this a novel? I think, yeah, I think this is a crazy time to live in because I don't think anybody in the past has ever been bombarded by so much information and so much art or expression uh, in history and objects and refinement. So, um, so I think like the Lindy's kind of needed and also not just in culture, but also like psychology and theories and making a new man um, which i think it's the most useful is in taming sort of a psychological obsession that sort of people have right with with labeling psychological phenomenons and the social science i think this sort of uh, provides a baseline for people uh, and behavior so and as a baseline you mean sort of the the works of the ancients that have lasted until now as source of psychological insight rather than uh modern peer-reviewed psych journals or whatever yeah i mean uh and, and there's you know there's a lot of lessons like sometimes they get it right right loss aversion 
you know, men feel the good less intensely than the bad. You know, there's there's a there's a lesson in there, a way to live life, which is, you know, be careful about losing things. You're just gonna feel it more. Um, I've done, you know, I post about this all the time. Um, the madness of crowds, you know, the paradox of progress, overconfidence. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, once you start reading it, right, you'll find a lot. Uh, but but it does provide a check to people like Jordan Peterson and maybe neo-traditionalist movements that we're kind of seeing sprout up in the internet, right? Because you're seeing a lot of people. Uh, I think you talked about this in your last podcast, which is um, you're seeing you know a traditionalist revival on the internet. It's a subculture, it's a genre, and people are sort of gravitating to it, and you have different um angles to it different practitioners of you know who are selling it uh i wouldn't put myself in that basket but um there are people who are uh um engaged with that and they're getting a following and and the, you know that's one of the problem that's one of the issues with the monoculture being destroyed you can just choose whoever you want now to follow right uh which kind of like how we we've always lived localism kind of like small town idols instead of these right rolling stones or you know touring around the world everybody knows who they are kind of like we're meant to sort of be in a more of a localist environment and you're seeing that in the internet a little bit so so i want to transition a little bit too uh could you uh define the the four hour life and the 12 hour life for us and how that sort of slots into the, the the windy stuff we were just talking about. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I, 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 I kind of thought about that when I was reading Taleb, and he was talking about risk takers, and you know, his books are about people who take risks, people who start a business, entrepreneurs, people who have downside and upside, and then there's also a lot of these people on Twitter who. I don't know what you'd call them, like gurus or people who are trying to sell you success or try to sell you not just motivational, but also tips. This is all, they're all over the place, right? I'm like, I'm like trying to get rich, right? Like I remember the 90s and there's like infomercials and now uh, it's kind of went to Twitter. But the whole time I'm sitting there going like, what about an employee? Like most people are employees. 90% of Americans are employees. 10% are small, you know. Or business owners, um, and this is like this is kind of novel. We kind of live in a scaled up uh, economy where, in the past, there was much more small business uh, small businesses. People would own them. Uh, so even like America, like a hundred years ago, it was, it was radically different. So we're living, you know, in an age of corporations and subsistence in the past, right? Just small business and subsistence, more or less. Prior or even just to... somebody like a tradesman who owned, right? Uh, it's just, it's just in the last fifty years, you saw a gravitation toward big corporation employees, big scaled up institutions, and now it's like we're at ninety percent. And now, now if you're an employee, you may only know other employees. So. I started thinking, like, who are these guys talking to, you know, or, or like, who's the audience? Uh, and it's just other employees, right? Not, not a lot of these guys aren't so-called like 
you know, entrepreneurs. And, and they're giving advice that works in one domain, which is the entrepreneur domain, and it doesn't work in the uh, employee domain. And these are two different domains, right? So the four-hour life is you go to work, that's eight hours. You go to sleep, that's eight hours. And then you commute, eat dinner, maybe work out. And all you're left with is like four hours in a day to like yourself, right? And this is what sort of everybody has. Four hours a day to just without you know, work or work-related or health-related or social-related activities that someone has to do during the day. Um, and then there's something called the consistency space that every employee is in, because if you look at what an employee is, you know, there's a reason why businesses don't hire contractors for every piece of work, because that contractor might not be there. He might take another offer. So you need someone who's reliable. You're paying for reliability. You're not paying for necessarily competence, although that's nice. So... So you're sort of just you – know, sometimes you don't have work during the when you're working as an employee or you don't have work to fill a whole day, but they're paying you to be reliable, to be there, you know. and there's reputations involved and there's compliance and behavior involved. There's no just contract, um, and so you need to perform consistently every day, and you need to have a routine that's consistent, and you know, we call that – you know. It's five days a week work usually for people, and you got to be reliable. And there's, but then if you look at the other domain, which Teleb talks about a lot, which is the entrepreneurs, which is people who focus on profit and loss, um, he says they're a little wild because they're not paid for behavior, they're not paid for compliance, they're paid for you know to make money. So you have this ra these two radical domains, um, and they're also not in the consistency business; they're in the payoff business, which is. Um, all you have to do is, do is be right once or twice, and that's it. And the rest, you know, as long – it doesn't matter. Whereas an employee, you're sort of always on the edge of uh, the downside, which is, you know, getting laid off, getting fired, the so-called turkey problem, which is the, uh, the turkey doesn't know Thanksgiving's coming up. The butcher does, and the turkey's getting fat and he's eating well. He thinks this is what life's going to be like forever. Right, so every employee has that issue. Um, so I just I just found that there's these two radical domains, um, and then I expanded it over time. Right, how how is your behavior manipulated to a hierarchy? Like, how do you move in the workplace when there is your boss around versus when you're outside of work? Like, we're deeply social creatures, so uh, so you'll see like people walk walk differently, their gait change or their voice will change. Um, you'll see just 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 very ancient sort of uh, behaviors in a way. Um, you'll 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 see uh, the flattening of natural volatility. You know, I don't think we're made to be consistent as human beings in a way. I think we're made sort of, uh, and I think that's why you'll see people sort of act erratically maybe after work or spend money to compensate for the lack of volatility and flattening it flattening their behavior over time at work to sort of comply to a uh reputation based you know uh compliance good person in a way um and there's a different type of exhaustion with the four-hour life um I think there's like you need a narrative because you need to like 
apply to different jobs. So you need to have why you're doing what, how you got there, what motivates you. And I think in payoff space, I think it's more of a numbers game. And as long as you're, you don't need a reason to do something, you just do it. Uh, so there's just, there's a lot of factors. And I think people on Twitter have sort of, they've talked about it as well. Uh, so yeah, that's an overview of the four hour life. One of the things you tweeted that I found most engaging, you, you had a thread talking sort of about along these lines, how, how we're modern slaves uh, as employees. Um, and your advice was measured and, and seemed to be pointing towards accepting that this four hour life is just the way things are going to be and trying to accept that and make the best of it. Is that the biggest difference between you and say uh, Jordan Peterson or BAP or the other Twitter, you said gurus, some of them a little more grifters. Is that what makes Lindy man different? I think, I think what, what makes, you know, I, I keep my feet on the ground. I talk about what uh, is relevant to me on a one-to-one scale. And I think it's easy to sort of take people and, on a, on, a, on a journey in a way, take them for a ride, right? And, and have them care about stupid shit like campus protests, like anything that matters at the university, right? Like Jordan Peterson got rich off that. He made grown men who go to work every day care about kids protesting at campuses. And it's like nothing that happens at a university campus matters man to your life it will never matter to your life this is a show this is a work i think this is very this is like why pro wrestling is very valuable to like know because there's like kayfabe there's a show going on i think there's i think a lot of ways trump does this where he just like gets a crowd in a frenzy puts you in a tribe and it's like hold on a second like you work for a living right like what are we What's what are we doing here? Like you worry about like eighteen year old kids like protesting at some university? It's nuts. But I think you know, sort of that's the game, right? For a lot of these guys, get you someone who's uh, who you know either works for a living or whatever, and get you to care about their pet issues, get you involved, get you on the ride, put you you know, uh, put you in a tribe. Um, that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, another. One that really fascinated me. Um, it, I loved your origin story. That was a really entertaining tweet you've got pinned up top. Uh, trying to find the ancient word for blue seemed like quite the quest, and I'd like to hear a little bit about that. But also, you, particularly with your, your daily tweets, you're making a lot of reference to ancient philosophy and ancient thought, and it seems to have this sort of presumption that truth is Lindy. If these things are still around, there has to be some truth to them, some applicability to them. Maybe they're just effective in our lives. So they remain. The rumor that you disproved that there wasn't an ancient word for blue having existed is has been a Lindy concept, but as you demonstrate, is an untruthful one it is truth lindy and, and maybe your work on that how how did that uh change your mind i don't even use the word true i, I rather you know I, I i talk about what's useful to your life mm-hmm. 
what things are robust to time, what things are not harmful. I think truth is sort of a loaded term. I don't think, I think you're entering into like philosophy land and I don't want to be in philosophy land. Like I want, and I, you know, I think that's a fine place to be. Uh, but I kind of want to stick to what's useful in your day-to-day life. And I think that's why I focus on these like so-called moral sciences and the so-called like, you know, aphorisms of like just how people behave. And I think, um, I think that's a, that's, that's a spot I kind of, and I've, I've never really talked about sort of abstract philosophy uh, other, other than just, you know, uh, something you can just use in your life. Um, for the blue thing, yeah, I read it in a Taleb's book and I was like, that's crazy. What is he talking about? They didn't have a word for blue. And I just, just did my own research and I found he was referencing a book that someone wrote. Um, and then there's this long tradition of color theory that people like uh, Goethe and God, I forgot all their names. Um, Goethe's theory of colors is his work on that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's crazy. That's, that's, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. He's like, you know, uh, there's a, but there's like a long tradition. Like, there's a lot of dudes who are like, let me let me think about the, you know, it was like it was this weird, trying to everybody's trying to crack a puzzle. There's even these like Baker and Kay, these like really established academics who thought they they came up with a uniform theory of color, which is like everybody starts with red, then they start with like black, then white. And then blue comes after, then orange, like, and, and so it was just it was just a weird. And I'm kind of an obsessive, so I was like, and also the payoff of trying to prove like Taleb made a mistake, right? Like, I'm a big Nassim Taleb fan. I think he's fucking great, and you know, one of the probably the greatest philosopher of our day. Uh, and I'm, you know, there was a motivation of being like, I think I'm gonna correct him. I think he's wrong here. And I, I kind of almost forgot. It's been a couple of years, but there's something about uh, uh, yeah, the, it, it was contested. But but I think giving like referential sources, um, I think I found out that something something in in Hebrew, what is it, eyeliner, right? Eyeliner, coal, right? Was was actually meant uh, blue. I went through that source, and I went through the ancient Greek source, and apparently he just he just sort of uh, he kind of relied on this book, and he made this error, um, and uh, it was cool, man. It was cool. it opened up this crazy world of like blue being a sacred color from like the Akkadians to the present. Like you saw it in their kings, they would paint, they would put their their beards were blue. If you look at ancient Egypt. They would uh, use a lot of uh, blue figurines and blue crowns. You would see that. Uh, and the Virgin Mary would always be wearing blue. And then also Jesus would sometimes be wearing blue. Uh, and then you see this this long tradition of blue being, you know, considered the color of the sacred through like numerous cultures in the ancient world. And you know, there's there's arguments of why, where it started. Like the lapis lazuli was something that. Uh, uh, was prized because it was more expensive than gold, right? There's references to the sky or to the water, um, but yeah, it was it was it was it was a wild ride. I mean, it was just it was this weird thing you stumble on, I guess. Um, that 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 was kind of fun. It's 
fun sometimes. And then, you know, he referenced, you know, I corrected him and I don't know. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, that's like old school, man. Like you find your your favorite author made a mistake. I'm going to go to you directly on Twitter. On Twitter, You made a mistake. I'm going to prove you wrong. Like I don't think that happens anymore, right? Like we're all just sort of – we're all sort of uh, whatever. You read a book, move on to the next one. You know, that's like – like people still correct authors in a way. Like uh, I thought that was cool. I don't know. Yeah, that's awesome. And I feel like there's sort of an irony of – you know everyone being so much more easily accessible right the author or whatever but you know fewer people like it's, it's no one's really going to do the research so much anymore to to find those mistakes to, to track them down you know it's, it's yeah and that's good. another thing it's like a localism yeah. thing which is like what would you do you know 1985 if you made a mistake nothing couldn't do shit write a letter to a magazine like they're not gonna print it nobody cares like it'd be it's like this wall it's like hey somebody's on twitter it's like I think you made a mistake let me show you it was just like i think this is the way it's supposed to be in a way so. yeah Let's see so we're running a little bit low on time but there's one or two more things that i want to ask this is spurring a lot of thoughts in me definitely definitely making making the gears turn um so one thing that we think is, is super cool that you do and is really interesting is that once you get like above eight thousand followers or so on Twitter, you call through them and keep your keep your followers count down to around eight thousand. Um, you, you run you run a lean operation. Um, can you tell us a little bit about about why you do that? You know, just uh, I think my stuff got picked up on some weird traditional circles, and there's a lot of like kids that like to talk shit. And it's like, first of all, I'm gonna block you if you you know. <laughs> If you try, you know, speaking negative, like in a weird, yeah, that happens. I don't know. It's weird, right? You start posting and people are just start mocking you, and it's like I'm just haters come out, yeah. (laughs) And then you block them, and they get more obsessed after you block them, and then you block their friends, and then their friends, and then they start like coalescing into like an anti Lindy Man genre group, and you're just like, you know, there's something to be said about. When you block someone, uh, they become more obsessed with you. It's weird. It's like it's like stalk. There's like a stalk. Like women, I think know this, right? When women are like, "Don't stalk me," and the guy keeps stalking them. Like, there's like there's like a weird thing going on. Um, I think I think also people aren't used to uh, like the TV coming out of the right. The TV shutting off itself, right? right. So I think what you know, people are just like, "What the fuck?" Like. Uh, I want to follow you. You're not letting me like, and I think that's like a shift from, cause we're surrounded by uh, corporations and everybody wants your money. Everybody wants to be nice to you because there's a transaction. There's no transaction here. It's just like I post, like I just, I just post my thoughts on the internet and I do it in system one, which is if I have a thought, I just post it. I don't, I don't edit it. I don't, uh, I don't uh, try to refine it. I don't think about what I post. It's just I try to make it as pure as possible because in one way, I also think long-term employment kind of um, kind of numbs your system to thinking a little. Like kind of you get a little apprehensive about what to post. And I also think it cuts down on some interesting ideas you get in your head. So I think one of the cool things – and I talk about I'm like, what's a writer nowadays? We're surrounded by screens everywhere, right? 
people are born into screens now. And, you know, I don't know, if you're not posting on Twitter or writing your thoughts down there, I think there's a shift in writing going on. I don't know if you can call yourself, I mean, you can call yourself a writer, sure, you still read, write books or whatever, but man there's it's 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 a it's a radically different environment and when you think when you think of what for, you know previous writers would use this medium i think they would so but anyways for the blocking it's like you know it's uh my feed my rules and uh but the weird thing is when you block someone they get sometimes they don't go away they, they get like i blocked people two three years ago who still complain about it so hmm. How many people do you think you've blocked at this point? Um, I don't know, thousands, thousands of people. Thousands. I mean, I also think it's like, what is what does a Twitter follower account even mean? Like, some of the biggest accounts have like the worst content. So, what are we doing here? Like, what 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 are we doing? Like, are we just trying to gain followers? And then what do we do? Shift to a Patreon model, trying to just like funnel customers into some sort of like business uh, scheme like a lot of people do that right email lists or whatever but when i look at it i'm like i'm like that's like a suck that's like a business game i'm not here to uh to run a business i'm here to just post my thoughts and come up with like maybe a little community of people who we can talk ideas with and uh so so it's like you know, to me, that's that's the the sane way of using Twitter. If you're not using it as a business, now if you want to make this into a business, you know, you got to run up the follower account, and you got to, right? Uh, what you see this all all the time, what people do. So, right, yeah, I, I always say that how there's way more readers and writers now than there ever has been, but the content quality is so much worse than it ever has been too. Um, so I think there's definitely value in cultivating that. Uh, quality of content and quality of consumer of the content too it's also i mean if you think you can even get correct like nobody in the history of the everybody can be a writer now nobody could in any other era now you literally have millions and billions of people who can pick up their phone and start posting and that's a writer in my opinion and you're having you know you're having everybody now so there's a level of saturation that you know i don't know what's going to last from this era right i don't know what's going to sort of when people are like what what are we you know what started in the 2018 19 20 and made it to 2000 or 3000 years i don't know what because it's it's everybody's everybody's here now and uh so i think that's like really interesting and the only way to sort of for me to engage with it is to just create a it like a like call it the Lindy table, but just it, it's a little spot where you have regulars and you just kind of uh, post your thoughts. I think that other than that, man, I don't know. I mean, this is a radically new environment, so and nobody has answers. Yeah. Let's see, so I think we're getting close on time now. Is there anything else that we haven't covered yet that you wanted to to make sure we touched on? Uh, no. I mean, I I think. I think we hit on everything. Uh, yeah, I think we hit on it. I mean, I, I don't got anything. So sweet. Well, cool. Thanks nice so much again. Yeah, it was great having you on. Um, yeah, uh, Brad, got any closing thoughts here? 
No, that was really interesting. You learned a lot. I'm glad you were able to join us. Thank you very much for your time. For yeah, spending sure. some of your four hours with us. <laughs> That's true. They did. Yep. Okay. Have a good day, guys. You do as well. Care.